0: Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to Compliance Clarified, a podcast for risk and compliance professionals brought to you by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Each week, we discuss news stories and topical issues from our journalists and analysts in the US, Europe, Asia and Australia. Hi. I'm Rachel Wolcott, Senior Editor, coming to you today from London, and I'm speaking to Brett Wolfe, Senior Editor for Anti-Money Laundering for the Americas. Hi, Brett. Good morning. Great to join you. So, to kick off the second episode of Season 9, we are going to discuss Beneficial Ownership Registers and the much-anticipated U.S. Treasury Department's Anti-Money Laundering Bureau the FinCEN Network's Guide, aimed at helping small businesses comply with the Beneficial Ownership Reporting Rule coming into force on Jan 1, 2024. There is considerable disquiet about the short time before the Small Entity Compliance Guide comes into effect, and those affected by the rule say FinCEN's Guide is inadequate. Lobbyists and professionals press Congress to give entities more time to comply, which it has. Brett, back in January, you and I wrote a developing beneficial ownership registers globally and said the pace would be glacial. That bold prediction seems to have panned out. Can you set the stage a little bit before we dive into what's going on with this guide? What is FinCEN and therefore the U.S. approach to beneficial ownership registers?
1: Yes, sure. I'm happy to. So the U.S. approach is going to be to have a highly secure beneficial ownership information database uh, that's accessible uh, mainly to law enforcement uh, and also to a degree to bank regulators uh, and to financial institutions themselves on a very limited basis. Uh, At least that's where we are right now. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about uh, the fact that many things aren't decided. But under the U.S. rule, entities are going to be required to report both beneficial owners and at least one company applicant. Beneficial owners would be people who own or control at least 25% of a company or have substantial control over it. And applicants would be an individual or potentially two individuals who were responsible for filing the documents that created or registered the company? Huh. And that's a lot different from
0: the UK approach, which I won't go into. But I mean, could you just tell us a little bit about why we're having a beneficial ownership register in the US now? What's it supposed to do? Well,
1: the hope is that this will prevent criminals from using their anonymity to commit criminal acts without any recourse for the government you know i've been hearing for decades from law enforcement professionals who said you know they would work on an investigation and they would move from layer to layer and ultimately what they would run into was a shell company and there was no information available about who was behind the company so it was essentially a dead end and you know they've been asking congress to do something about this again for many many years Uh, The U.S. faced a lot of criticism from the Financial Action Task Force, the global AML standard setter, uh, yet the U.S. still did not act. In 2018, FinCEN uh, uh, put a rule into force that required financial institutions to collect beneficial ownership information about their customers, but the government itself did nothing to increase the availability of information about beneficial owners. So as part of the Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2020, Congress enacted the Corporate Transparency Act, and that is what has required FinCEN to create this beneficial ownership database with the hopes of aiding law enforcement and, quite honestly, in lessening the embarrassment of the United States of America for not having any kind of database of this sort, you know, the US likes to suggest it as a leadership role in the world when it comes to AML compliance and in combating financial crime. So this database will uh, perhaps put a check mark on a uh, sort of longstanding uh, embarrassment and criticism and um, fill that space. Yeah, a lot of countries
0: still don't have it. The Swiss just announced that they're going to start working on one. But like you say, this is one of the things that the Financial Action Task Force considers to be uh, best practice and highly recommends having one. So you mentioned that this is only going to be, as of now, accessible to law enforcement. It will be highly secured, which... Limits its usefulness in terms of doing AML and KYC checks. So, for example, if one of your customers tells you they've got one UBO, you will just have to take their word for it because at this point, you wouldn't be able to check against what's in the register of whether it's the same things. So, you know, why, why are we here with this limited access and? What are banks and other financial institutions saying about not being able to look at what's in the in the register?
1: Sure. Uh, well, the primary complaint from financial institutions is they can access the database, but only for the purposes of customer due diligence. Um, they can't use the data for other purposes and within their AML programs, for instance, for risk assessment. So. It's solely to be used for KYC according to the proposed rule. But any day now, uh, literally any at any moment, this podcast could quickly uh, become out of date because the final rule on access to the database will be out anytime. So we don't know if all the criticism from banks and from their trade associations is going to have moved the dial at all uh, in terms of FinCEN's decision-making. It may be that FinCEN will see those as valid arguments and allow financial institutions to use this data more broadly, or it may very well be that we'll end up with banks having the very limited access and essentially making this database increasing the uh, compliance burden of financial institutions instead of lessening it which uh, many had hoped it would do when, um, when it was, uh, the CTA was first passed. Uh, there was a lot of optimism at this point. It's just looking like another compliance headache.
0: That's a shame. Even though uh, there are huge data quality issues with Companies House, which is the UK corporate register, and it's used by fraudsters a lot, you can access the data f- freely, and I think you can even get a API to take out some of the data and be able to manipulate it and check all the companies' different entities around the world and compare them. Well, oh, it's not all of them, but it's a lot of them, and it's really useful. And then increasingly, that data is being enriched with other kinds of information, like legal entity identifiers, which... It allows for investigations and research into UBOs and who might be using some of these corporate stru- structures for money laundering or tax evasion to find out you know, who who these might, people might be and where they might be hiding. So I think it's, it's really interesting and hopefully we'll get to a place in the U.S. where they'll want to
1: enable some
0: of that kind of work.
1: Well, interestingly, there's been legislation uh, proposed in both New York and California that would essentially require uh, these legal entities to file with their states in parallel with their filing to FinCEN, and these New York and California registries would be public. So they'd be going a step beyond what the federal government is doing, and it sounds like uh, having registries that are more like the UK's version. So we'll see if that actually happens. It's not clear if if this legislation is going to move in these two states, but uh, if it does, it, it could be a game changer, at least in terms of access to data in those states. Now, I don't know if those states will be able to provide any information on entities that aren't created in or operating in their jurisdictions, um, so there's a lot that's left to be clarified there, but um it it could be a step forward.
0: Yeah. And it seems like one thing potentially the FinCEN database won't do, and I'm just assuming here, so please correct me. How much light is it going to shine into these black holes of <laughs> like Delaware and some other places where there's loads of shell companies and it's really difficult to find out who, who's behind them.
1: Well, theoretically, um, it is, you know, it it will apply to all of those entities. Um, Now, in in terms of how many of them uh, go into noncompliance, that's a big question that's left to be answered. But yeah, I mean, theoretically, uh, it it should shine light into those dark places. Um, And yes, you know, the Delaware Notorious uh, for its shell companies uh, are included here. Uh, because we're t- uh, the rules going to apply to states where entities have been created via this this registration process, and the states are going to have to collect the the beneficial ownership information, and the entities are going to have to have to share it. So theoretically, uh, if all goes well, this this will be uh, somewhat effective. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of questions, for instance, about if a legal entity is created for a criminal enterprise, obviously, you know, drug Lord A is not going to list himself as a beneficial owner, um, but it's perhaps we'll give law enforcement somewhere to start, you know, human beings to bring in and question and so forth. So there should be some utility to it. Is, Is it going to be a silver bullet for this problem? Undoubtedly, no, you know, that there's already been the issue that, uh, for instance, the South Dakota trusts have been abused and those are not going to be included in this registry, uh, due to the way that they're created. So, you know, there are going to be gaps and, uh, yeah, we'll have to see law enforcement ultimately will be, uh, I suppose the, uh, Entity or the entities to decide whether or not this is working, and you know whether they're actually able to dig a layer deeper than they historically have been able to. Um, so we'll wait and see.
0: I'm Kim Vanel. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world from the front line in Ukraine.
1: Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover
0: to the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. It's interesting uh, that we're still working on the economic crime and corporate transparency bill here in the UK. It's taking ages to get through the House of Commons. And inexplicably, the government has actually whipped to vote against amendments that would stop people, or if, if, let's say, if you were, like you describe a cutout for a drug lord or for an ol- oligarch you know, representative, you would have to say who you're, well, the amendment, one of the amendments wanted uh, you to say who you were representing, of course, that got knocked back, and what might be an interesting point of comparison is the UK Too Much Fanfare launched a database, a new database last year for UBOs on foreign-owned property. And I have to say that has been a mixed bag for for some of the reasons you mentioned, like the use of trusts and the use of people standing in for the real ultimate beneficial owners, so it, it seems like you inch closer slowly <laughs> to transparency, and there's like a huge amount of frustration. And it, you know, abusing these structures makes it so easy for criminals, other bad actors, to set up shell companies and move money around uh, almost uninhibited, and. Um, I saw a stat in the paper the other day that something like 100 fake or kind of phony companies are created on company sales every hour that might be used in fraud or other types of misbehavior. So there's there's my five cents on that. But just to get back what we're supposed to be talking about, you had an article last week that we'll link to in the show notes that suggested um, that this guide that's just been published by Finzen, everybody's really uh, upset about it. What's the problem with this
1: guide? Uh, well, the guide itself is not problematic, and in fact, it's gotten a fair amount of of praise from many quarters uh, for providing a very simplistic view of. Of what the beneficial ownership information issue is, and in explaining who it is that's going to have to report, um, so it really spelled it out. They even had some little flow charts um, to help uh, entities understand if they need to report or not. So it's a it's a great document in and of itself. But the issue is really. Whether it's going to make it into the hands of small business owners who are trying to understand their obligations, or quite frankly, many of who have no idea that any of this is going on, um, you know they don't check FinCEN's website. Uh, they more than likely have no idea what FinCEN is, and you know if they receive notice about this, you know that they need to send their highly confidential personal information. To some government agency they've never heard of, you know. Many of them are going to wonder if this is some kind of scam. Um, so, you know, th- there are a lot of hurdles, in particular, in getting this information to small businesses that that don't read compliance news, uh, that don't have uh, regular access to guidance from um, attorneys or accountants or whoever uh, that might make them aware of this obligation. So. That's probably going to be the big challenge.
0: Yeah, I can't believe there are people out there that don't read compliance news. I mean, that's that's just crazy. <laughs> Who are these people? So, what, <laughs> would you? <laughs> would you, if you were starting up a new company, be made aware at that time that you need to fulfill these FinCEN obligations?
1: Presumably, um, I mean, I, I would I would think that's something the um, the states would need to be notifying people people of as they're creating new entities, um, notifying them that there's a federal obligation. I'm not honestly sure the degree to which that will or will not happen, but I I would think that would be the the logical vehicle for transmission of this information for new entities. But in terms of existing entities, uh, the many tens of millions of them Undoubtedly, there's going to be a significant number of entities that are are not aware of this and don't get the information in th- uh, you know based on what it looks like right now. Um, FinCEN has said it's going to do outreach, and you know we'll see to to what degree it does that uh, one sort of uh, f- significant issue that's come up is uh FinCEN now has an actual director, not an acting director anymore. The director of the Office of Foreign Assets Control, former director of OFAC, Andrea Gaki, has now taken over FinCEN, and she obviously knows her ways, her way around Treasury, and you know is a very knowledgeable person. So, you know, we're sort of midway through this process, if that, and we're now changing leadership, um, but. You know it may turn out that that is a good thing, uh, and that she may be able to make this very glacial process move just a little bit more quickly, um especially once you know her changes start to manifest. and then you know, she really gets grounded and gets moving. Um, so we'll see Now, there's still some resistance to
0: the beneficial ownership re- register. I think I was reading in one of your articles that there were still some stakeholders who weren't too sure about it. Like I'm, I'm kind of thinking about maybe accountants who, what, what's going
1: on? Well, you know, this could be a boon to accountants. Um, this could be a source of significant uh, um, income. Um, but I mean, it's a small business community in the United States that, that is concerned about this. And, you know, they're, they're sort of, The economic engine of the country. Um, So they have Congress's ear. And Republicans, especially uh, in the House, are very critical of what's been done so far. And they are, you know, reflecting the views of those of the small business community in, you know, suggesting that, you know, more time is needed for if they're going to comply with this. And You know, there needs to be better outreach and so forth. And there probably is, you know, there are a lot of individuals that probably feel, I'm not going to turn this information over to the government. This is my personal information. You know, I've owned this small business for years. We're not implicated in any criminal activity. Why do I have to report this? So, you know, there is that kind of resistance. But I think it's, by and large, it's understood that this is moving forward. You know, this is not going to uh, be reversed. This this law is in place. And we're taking these tiny, tiny little uh, Poirot-style footsteps forward, penguin footsteps to get this implemented. So resistance resistance is futile, I believe, at this point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can't imagine that this is going to be an onerous compliance test. I mean, everybody in a small business will have this information ready to hand. It's probably just filling in a web form somewhere.
1: Well, FinCEN's not so sure about that. Oh, really? Yes. And the initial form that FinCEN created for beneficial ownership reporting had boxes that allowed entities to say, I don't know, or information not available. And there was a whole lot of backlash about that. So, FinCEN has recently issued a new form that requires the boxes to be filled and and doesn't allow you to say you don't know. But apparently, if you don't know, there will be a secondary form where entities can say, can explain that that they don't know, but why they don't know also. And ultimately, that's going to be considered incomplete until they get that information. But I mean, obviously the details here, it's just, it's baffling to a degree. Um, Perhaps entities that have existed for some time, there's not information on someone who was originally an owner, or I don't really know what the challenges will be in terms of of getting a hold of information for historical entities, but um, they're obviously going to have to figure this out.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe if you don't know who the ultimate beneficial owner of your company is, you shouldn't be filling in the form.
1: <laughs> I'm just just saying,
0: <laughs> maybe it should be someone else.
1: Someone else who is not willing to take on the task, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I have no idea. Next. Um, so just to wrap up here, where are we on some of the, the, the timelines and deadlines here? Um, is it sounds like it might be up in the air, but we're making baby steps forward to some kind of go-live
1: date? Well, FinCEN is still very clear and definitive that this thing's going to be up and running by January 1st of 2024, the database. But legal entities that were created prior to January 1st of 2024, they'll have one year to comply and to get their information reported. So that that seems like more than likely sufficient time. Um, Entities created after January 1st, but during 2024, will have 90 days to report their information. But entities created after January 1st of 2025 will only have 30 days to file their reports. Um, FinCEN just made that change uh, because there was a lot of concern um, on the part of some members of Congress that entities created on or after January 1st, 2024, they're not going to have any awareness of this rule or the need to comply. So basically, FinCEN gave a one-year grace period where entities will have 90 days instead of 30 days to comply. That was sort of their solution to that challenge. But obviously here we have all these various deadlines and any day now we'll get the access rule as we previously discussed that will answer the question of whether or not financial institutions are going to have broad use of this data. And by January 1st of 2025, FinCEN also still needs to issue a rule that will uh, state how the creation of this registry will affect financial institutions' customer due diligence obligations. Um, so that's going to be a whole nother can of worms uh, that we haven't even gotten into yet. But that's where we, we stand right now.
0: Okay. Well, I hope everybody was taking notes, got their spreadsheet out to keep track of this
1: stuff <laughs> <laughs> Oh,
0: man. Well, thank you so much, Brett. Uh, that, was, that was fun to talk about uh, Ultimate Beneficial Ownership Registers. I mean, they're much more interesting than people think, especially if you're a nosy journalist. They're very interesting. Well, that's it for this week's Compliance Clarified. Your feedback is important to us, so please give us a rating on the, your podcasting platform of choice, or you can get in touch directly. Our contact details are in the show notes. For more information about regulatory intelligence, please search for Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence or check the show notes for a link. Thanks. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.